Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I am Subi. As always, my trusty, reliable co-host Taylor is alongside me. We're brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day, I'm going with Kay Felder out of Oakland. Now, probably a not-so-subtle Easter egg as to what I'm going to be talking about towards the end of this episode and not so mid, but Kay Felder deserves a shout out. Oakland will get their shout out. I think Kay Felder was also on the Cavs uh, at one point. I don't know if he crossed paths with LeBron James at all, but Kay Felder was one of the most electric players uh, in the, in the mid major ranks, small diminutive guy who, would score at will truly one of the best scorers we've seen the last 10 or so years. So Kay Felder, he is your college hooper of the day. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow me at CBB theater to find out where the feet is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor Damel. Let's open the curtains. listeners or theater goers this might be a half-assed performance for my end man i'm sick i'm tired i'm still bloated and drunk from thanksgiving so i just want to put that out there that this might be a very half-assed like jordan pool type of effort on the wizards would you say so monday after new year's is the worst day of the year right that's what we no monday after the super bowl is the worst day of the year uh is the Monday after Thanksgiving break, this is like second top three worst days of the year, perhaps. I think it's top three. So if we're talking strictly Mondays, yeah, it is top three. Uh, because like you said, you you basically forget that you're employed, right? Hey, <laughs> I, sold just going at I sold the house. I don't know about you regular folks, but I sold the house this weekend. So yeah, you know. I guess you don't, you don't count. You're not, you're not, you're not a cube rat like us. You bet. You're basically done halfway through Wednesday up until the wee hours of Sunday night when you're just trying to squeeze the last bit of toothpaste out of the weekend. Yeah. My problem is that, let me just say you people then, since we're already defining me as someone different, just because you people have all four days off, which means me people have to have some on time then. Cause you always get that inevitable text. Cause you know, people kind of start drinking or like, a lot of people take off Wednesday early, right, and just kind of prep for for the day. Thanksgiving's always always off, but then by like Friday afternoon, you've now spent 
like 48 consecutive hours with your family for a lot of folks. And I always inevitably get those texts. Yeah, man. So uh, we do have some time to look this weekend. If, <laughs> if, uh, if you got some time and of course I have to have the time. So you can always tell when everyone hits their like family wall is, is when I get the text of like, Hey, so our, our schedule is actually a little more free than we thought it was going to be. We got to get out of the house for two hours and do something. So, so me people have to react to that, but that's okay. That's how we pay the bills here in the Damel house the household. That's what uh, it's means to an end there. Well, the world needs both of our parties and it's so funny you bring up family time. So th- this weekend was great. I enjoyed every last second of it. I had two toddlers running around brother, uh, excuse me, my sister-in-law with her husband. That was great. But don't you find that people sometimes when they're approaching a holiday and I do, I do this, I know I do this with my immediate family. I'll be like, Oh, I can't do anything Saturday because it's Thanksgiving weekend, but they bite off a little bit more than they can chew. And like you said, by like mid Friday, you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, how am I going to make it to the end of Sunday? And so, yeah, maybe you are a lifeline for some folks, Taylor, that may be in the market or may just want to see some houses and go to an open house. I don't know, but you are someone's lifeline for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, on more than one occasion, um, I have definitely, let's say, how do I put this? Um, Yeah, uh, I've thrown that life preserver out to folks who I knew that they wanted to go look at houses simply because they just needed something to do. And, and just be away. And I know that in the back of my mind and they even more than say, Hey, yeah, well, and I'm, but you can't not, you can't say no, like you can't say go F yourselves and go look at these houses with another realtor. Like that's not going to work for me. So yeah, there's definitely, I just did that like two weeks ago when these, some, some folks were in town for like five or six days staying at like the in-laws house. And they're like, yeah, I guess we could look at some places. And I'm like, ugh, this is going to be a waste. We're not selling, we're not buying any of these houses, but sometimes you just got to do that. You know, it's just people helping people. So, you know that. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta run your offense. Even if you're down 30 with two minutes to go in the game and you got the backups in, you got to run it like you, like you would if it was a regular game or if it was 100%. a competitive game, right? Yeah, getting the reps we, in. It's getting the reps in. Yeah. Especially at this time. Can I also say one other thing? It, it, it's just such bullshit being sick. The general idea of being sick, like God or whatever you believe in, you know, whoever created us just, I don't want to say it's a half-ass job, but it's, it's kind of like a three quarters job. I mean, we're over, we got people with allergies that they can't figure it out. We got, we got people that, yeah, they, they get sick and the common cold puts me on my ass. And I'm one of those guys. I am one of those guys where I understand that my wife is stronger mentally and physically than me. But there's also a small part of me, Taylor, that's like, well, maybe, maybe I do have it worse than everyone else. And yeah, that is a defeatist attitude, but there, there's a small part of me goes, that goes into my mind. But Taylor, the human body is supposed to be so perfect where like one little paper scratch completely renders you useless or paper cut renders you useless. It's just, I, I, I hate being sick. It's so stupid. Like, just work the way you're supposed to be working. So even though I was sick a few, maybe month ago on this program, I am rarely, if ever, sick. Maybe like a once a year for a couple of days maximum thing. My wife is the exact opposite. She has allergies at like six different times of the year. Like she has celiac disease just as a general sense. So she can't, you know, even if like a puff of wheat blows across her, her brow, you know, like that's, then we're toast. Now we have, of course, the daughter. So we've got, you know, pregnancy or post-pregnancy stuff. So yeah, no, I, someone, so for you, Rachel is the strong one for me. I'm, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here. I'm just saying that I am fortunate that I do not have the allergies, the whatever, whatever that has nothing to do with me and my mental toughness. It's just naturally, like, I don't have any of these allergies and stuff like that. So I, I consider myself very fortunate. It's pretty few and far between that I get sick, but when I get sick, it's either me being a huge, huge softy, or I am like the sickest. I, I'm the person with the worst common cold in the entire country. It's probably the former, but we'll power through this. Enough woe is me. We had a really nice slate of hoops this past weekend. I know we weren't, uh, we didn't, we didn't come to you last Friday, 
as we usually do, but it was Thanksgiving. We record on Thursdays. And on Thanksgiving, Taylor, we contributed to apparently what was the most viewed college basketball game in 15 years between Michigan State and Arizona. We can talk about whatever you want from the game. Uh, But I do want to start first, Taylor, about that stat because I'm a little stunned by it. I'm over here. I'm over here trying to lead the charge and be a like my sport kind of guy when people are watching a Super Bowl rematch between the Eagles and the Chiefs. And I'm, I'm tweeting about like Robert Morris or something like that. But we got, we had Michigan State and Arizona with an all time viewing record on Thanksgiving when there's football going on. Tell me your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, first off, let me also say this last weekend was one of the great regular season sports weekends of my life. And that's 100% accuracy. Packers, ever since you said, yeah, our football team sucks, the Packers are sucked like collectively, you and I. Packers look all right. We're back. Yeah, you're, in the mix. you're taking, you're, you can take that. Go ahead. Control we look on. great too, by the way, in, in, uh, in terms of what we're looking for and looking to yeah, achieve. True. How much did Bill pay for that kicker to miss that field goal kick? Anyway, so elements. Yep. Arizona, of course, beats Michigan State, and then Arizona beats the absolute shit out of ASU uh, in football uh, here this last weekend. So, especially this Thursday, we went Packers, controlling the Lions, and then straight up not even having to move, not even have to hit a button on my remote straight into Arizona, Michigan State. The the rare U of A uh, Packers combo uh, really worked worked well for me. But um, number of factors here. In this Arizona Michigan State game, uh, that probably caused it to be, uh, you know, have so much viewership. Part of it is because, yes, it was after that fo- the the first football game, so I'm sure that was a factor. Um, the Cowboys Red uh, Commanders game sucked. I mean, for lack of a better, uh, you know, phrase, uh, everyone could have fallen asleep at because of Jack Harlow's halftime show and maybe they just hadn't changed the channel by the time they woke back up. That was an awful halftime show. So I heard uh, he was on a he was on a very small. It's like uh, someone just stage. rolled out. It's like someone rolled out, like tied together, sewed together, like fifteen tablecloths, and that was like all they put down. Anyway, um, but no, but the biggest factor is that you got two very you got two massive college basketball brands playing at uh, at a prime time day that everybody has off, and I think that if you are, I mean, you and I have this discussion all the time. You know, and I'm always the guy that's that's hanging the banner of that Arizona is a much bigger basketball brand than what I think a lot of people realize that it is. Now I can now I can actually say that. Hey, yeah, nobody even watches your school. Like, what are you talking about? Of course, we we are the most watched game of all time. But it is it is wild to me that it is the most watched college basketball game on Fox ever, ever, and of course, like you said, the largest viewership of any basketball college basketball game um, in the last 15 years, which means more than every single one of Duke. North Carolina's games that were regular season games more than any Indiana Purdue more than any yeah more than any UCLA U of A games so um, it was an and it helped that it was an awesome game so uh, two two great teams uh, one obviously a little better than the other just given what this season has uh, seen so far but it was again much like the Duke game for Arizona in a lot of ways exactly what you're looking for from a college basketball game you know Arizona played very well in the first half Uh, Michigan State made a push as you would expect an Izzo team to do right out of halftime essentially went on I think what was a nine to two run I think right after the break which pretty much evened it up and in fact uh, Michigan State took the lead with about three or four minutes left for the first time, and then Arizona pushed through at the end. But I think that was part of it is, you know, uh, some people may have left the TV on that channel after the Packers-Lions game. But then the fact that it was like, oh, you got the number three team, like this is a good basketball game. Uh, you know, the other game was kind of a blowout anyway, football game. And so by the time this game ended, it was halftime of the other game. So I could see how maybe if you weren't intentionally trying to watch this game, you were maybe like, oh, well, we're sports fans. This is a good game. The other game doesn't start for a little bit. It's now a blowout already. So a combination of factors. Thanksgiving was a big factor. So I'm not going to sit here and act like if this game was on like a Tuesday, it was going to get 5.25 million people. But I think it still would have gotten a pretty significant viewership just given all the reasons I just said. Yeah, I think all the reasons you did just say are correct. I think you missed out one little point and it's very minute and maybe you did say it, but uh, obviously the Arizona brand is incredibly strong and they contributed to the viewership numbers, but it also helped that 
Michigan State, a Michigan fan base was coming off of their Lions loss, maybe looking Correct. for some. Yep. So yep. To, your, to your point about it being on the same channel, totally get all that. But this was a big day for Michiganders, okay? And, and actually, they had a rough weekend, I think, uh, through it all. So, well, with the exception of, of uh, the Wolverines. Maybe I'm talking strictly Michigan State fans that overlap with Lions fans that also overlap uh, with, yeah, just Michigan State. So this was a, a, a great game, though, Taylor, like you mentioned, and a very exciting game, a competitive game, and one in which you were hoping to see um, takeaways for me. And this is I'm going to I'm going to give you a pat on the back here, T. Kylan Boswell, man, again showing out and showing up uh, everyone on the Umar Balo train. He's been fine. Balo has been fine, but Kylan Boswell, again, stepping up to the plate and, and being a grown up adult. The one thing I think we're actually witnessing Taylor though, and maybe it's too early because they were winning a ton of games last year at this juncture, but I never had the same feeling. I never had the same feeling last year as I do this year with guys like Keisha Johnson and Caleb Love who, when they make big plays, I don't think it's by accident. Like when Azulis Tabellis was making big plays, I was kind of like the Russell Westbrook meme when he's eating in the corner. He's like, yeah, I guess I'll take it, like secretively. But I don't know if that necessarily translates towards the end of the year. Courtney Ramey, something similar. This year, though, when I see Keisha Johnson and Caleb Love make big-time plays, I say that's a result of Keisha Johnson going through wars and being at a winning program like SDSU. I say that's a result of Caleb Love backpacking one of the greatest, uh, if not the greatest college basketball program in history to a win over their arch rivals. I think those are products of the experiences that they've had. And that's what I'm all about. Right. So when I see a Caleb Love, who, by the way, is basically Michael Jordan, when the clock is winding down in the first half, like if if I'm a if I'm watching film and I'm an opposing coach, get the ball out of his hands. If if Arizona has the ball clock winding down, because he's going to shoot and he's probably going to make it. That's twice now against Duke and now Michigan State. But what I'm seeing with this team, and Tommy Lloyd said it. He's you know we got dogs, we got winners. He's probably said it a couple times in the past when they didn't really have dogs or winners. Sorry, Tommy, I love you, but you don't necessarily or they didn't have the the resume where I could point and say, yeah, they are a dog. Yeah, they are a winner. Uh, I can see that now with these two guys, especially leading the way. Yeah, no, you know, another thing that I will point out just because I had it pulled up and didn't say earlier, um, you know, Michigan State played on Thanksgiving last year, too, against Alabama. So um, I don't think this was only a Thanksgiving thing. Obviously, it being on the same channel was was significant. But I went back and looked at what last year's uh, Thanksgiving slate was. You had Wisconsin at Kansas. You had Duke, Oregon State, Alabama, Michigan State, UConn, Oregon. You know, so it wasn't just like this was the only Thanksgiving that's ever had good games on before. So I do want to point that out. But no, I mean, I think with this Arizona team specifically, uh, Caleb Love, Keshad Johnson, um, these are guys that just you can count on them. I had been a little hard on um, on Jaden Bradley earlier in this year too. He hit what was maybe the biggest shot of this game and has played really well. Uh, ever since I gave him a little, uh, not a hard time, but said, hey, we need a little more out of him. And he quickly responded to that. Kylan Boswell in the first half of that game looked like the looked like the best guard in America in the first half. And that's not even a hyperbole. Like I, he didn't play quite as well in the second half, but, um, you know, obviously Kolek and people like that are, are, are the actual best guards in the country. But he looked every bit of that in the first half and um Michigan State did scare me a little bit. They hit a couple threes, and I and, and you and I texted about it in the week. But I'm like, oh, this is the game that Michigan State finally figures out how to shoot. Fortunately, they did not. Again, it's not, not. I guess I'm still not worried about Michigan State. Maybe I no. am worried. Not not after this game, but you know, it's just it's it's just tough that if it was if this game was standalone because they clearly looked the part in this game. Um, it's just a, it's just kind of funny to, that we have this discussion about them every year at the same time. Couple losses to somebody in like November and December, and they still can't shoot. Though I guess is is, is where I'm going with this. It's like it's it, they're still not shooting the ball very well, and so we still need to get that figured out, uh, you know, before conference play starts because conference play starts now in less than a month. 
Yeah. So the the shooting, that, that's what we mentioned. We said it's concerning. But for our narratives, for mine personally, I gave you love for Kyle and Boswell. I'm going to take love again for Tyson Walker, which wasn't going out on a limb, calling him Big Ten Player of the Year. But I think that is close to solidified. Tyson Walker is the best player by far in big time spots in big time games. Like Tyson Walker was one of the sole reasons why that was a game. Uh, and also um, Jade Nakins. Jade, Jade Nakins actually started pissing me off because I was like, come on, Jade Nakins. You're going to be hitting these banked fadeaways, but credit to him. But Tyson Walker looks great. Michigan State, you're going to be just fine. However, um, they're, they're just not the Final Four contender right now that we may have thought that they were. And they, like, it's still a little too early to write them off as that, but I think they were a little overvalued in the preseason. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, you know, we're not writing anybody off in November, but I'm certainly couldn't, I couldn't be less impressed maybe with one single team so far through the year um, that would have been someone that we would have picked to the final four uh, in the preseason. Uh, they are currently at least playing a get right game as we speak. I think they're up by like 900 against Georgia Southern. So they needed one of those games to finally put one away. You know, obviously, though, if you look at the other teams in college basketball that we were able to watch this last weekend, and you look at them compared to Michigan State, you're you're only going to be more impressed with everybody else and less impressed by Michigan State. You know, if you look at the, you know, Kansas, Tennessee, you know, all these games at the Maui Invitational, Marquette. Look at Marquette. They're dope. You know, a, a lot more teams. I mean, coming coming away with a lot more impressive views of teams even in losses. Shoot, even UCLA only, you know, lost. Does UCLA look better than Michigan State this year? I would say yes so far. So um, I, I think I'm, I'm coming away with a lot more better impressions of other teams that were worse than Michigan State to start the year. And, you know, if they would have beat Arizona, I think we could have said, okay, yeah, all right, all right, all right, you know, whatever, overreaction. But you've now got – I know that all of their losses are to teams that are ranked now. Two of them are ranked in the top five. I get that. But um, at some point – you don't get credit for losing to good teams, right? Like you have to win some of these games. This isn't an SEC bad or good loss type of deal. So um, for them, I just had their uh, schedule pulled up here and um, they've have Wisconsin oh, shoot Wisconsin's next week. So that already, you know, already starts for them in big 10 play. And then they have Baylor there on uh, December 16th, which is going to be pretty much their last opportunity at a non an out of conference win of any stature. So when it comes to seeding, that's going to be the issue, right? Yeah. If you don't well, beat, but if you don't beat that Baylor team, who's currently ranked number nine, you're going to go into selection Sunday and they're going to look at your out of conference schedule and go like, great. So you played all these teams, but you didn't beat any of them. Yeah. The main question is AJ Hogard for me. Shooting might turn around. There's still time for it to potentially turn around. Although I don't necessarily believe it will. We've seen shooting, Turnaround, let's say, in the course of uh, the turn of the calendar, uh, you know, in 2024. But A.J. Hogard has not played well this season, Taylor. And I like A.J. Hogard. He was one of my foxhole guys last year, point guard-wise, with Marquise Noel and Dewan Harris. But A.J. Hogard, and I, I like him because he talked a big game and usually he could back it up. This season, he said he's coming in with a chip on his shoulder, basically – by saying all the media or local media, maybe national media wrote them off. And I don't even know if that's true, but they're being proven right right now, AJ right now, because you have not played well at all. And I thought this was going to be a great backcourt between him and Tyson Walker. And only one of them is really carrying that load right now. So AJ Hogard, he's the most concerned uh, concerning p- part of this whole fixture. Okay. Because we saw, we saw contributions with Jaden Akins. We saw, contributions with a few of the other personnel and players. And I know what I'm going to get with Tyson Walker. I know what I'm going to get with Tom Izzo. What am I going to get with, with uh, AJ Hogard? Because you know what we love, right? Taylor, it's guard play in March. Stop. It, 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 I won't say it starts and stops with him. Cause that's Tyson Walker, but it could certainly stop with them. It could absolutely stop Michigan state with uh, AJ Hogard based on his performance. So that's the, the one area I'm very much keen on. 
Yeah, he's averaging nine points and four assists this year, two turnovers a game, which isn't too bad, but he's only shooting 31% from the field and 14% from three. There's only one dude on the entire Michigan State roster who's shooting uh, better than 30% from three, and that's Tyson Walker, who's shooting 30.4%. You do have Trey Holloman, who I think he's shooting at 50%, but I think that's on I mean, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen Trey Hall. Two shots. Yeah, right. So we're not going to count that. But yeah, Tyson Walker is the only guy in the whole team that's shooting above 30% from three, and he's shooting 30.4. You can't have a starting backcourt in Big Ten play, and and I'm going to count Jaden Akins in this as well, who are shooting 30, 29, and 14% from three. That's not going to win you a lot of games in the Big Ten because as rough and tumble as the Big Ten is – you got to have someone to spread the floor a little bit so everything doesn't get so clogged up in the middle. And if you can leave all three of these guys open, Michigan State's not good enough down low compared to some of these other teams in the Big Ten for them to do anything. So just like we said, even on the last two of the last three episodes, is we got to have some kind of offensive change here at Michigan State. And currently behind me, uh, as the TV is on, they are playing well. But again, it's against a Georgia Southern, so that's not really going to tell us anything. Who knows? Maybe Jaden Akins will emerge and take the mantle as, as number two because he had a great game against Arizona. Soup, there is one other team that actually maybe is a little more disappointing this year than Michigan State so far. Who's that? Uh, oh, is it USC? It's USC, Soup. Hey, nice USC. segue. Thank you. Nice segue there. That's brilliant. Uh, yeah, USC loses to Oklahoma. I won't say they are as disappointing as Michigan State, but because because I think and this might be a national media thing versus West Coast, everyone was saying Michigan State is a Final Four contender and they still could be. There's time for it to turn it around. But I think a lot of people on the West Coast were also saying that USC could challenge or win the Pac-12 title. I think Rothstein had tweeted multiple times over the offseason that the Pac-12 runs through the Galen Center. USC loses to Oklahoma. This was a couple games after they lost to UC Irvine. Uh, I'm not panicking about USC mostly because Collier and Boogie will figure it out. And I'm going to give Collier a little bit more time. But are you concerned about them? I mean, I would be at this point. You know, if if their guard play is awesome, don't get me wrong. You know, Boogie Ellis and Isaiah Collier have both played very well. Boogie's averaging 20 and uh, Isaiah Collier is averaging 18. The problem is with with Collier specifically is this guy's averaging five plus turnovers a game and that's certainly not going to work. So that's, that's a big issue for them is uh, the turnover issue. They're averaging about 15 a game. They're, they're shooting the ball decently well from deep, but, um, but this team outside of their guards is, is just nothing. You know, their their three guards average 20, 18 and 15 a game. And nobody else is, on the team averages more than six. Is Vince a Chuck Wu back, or is this just the Josh Morgan show? Um, he's played four of the games this year. He was he played fourteen minutes against Oklahoma. So yeah, right. I mean, uh, talking about someone who was probably supposed to be a little better than he's played so far. Um, he's only shooting thirty three percent from the field. Again, not going to work for a big guy, but. Um, Collier is playing well. He gets if if he can figure the turnover bug out, that's going to be huge for this team. Boogie Ellis really can't be playing much better. He's shooting forty five percent from the field, forty percent from three, only turning the ball over a, a time and a half a game, and averaging over twenty points a game. So he's certainly not the issue. But they don't got a lot on this team outside of their starting guards. Kobe Johnson, like I said, is that third guy, and they're averaging fifteen. So. The problem will be for them, and as we have saw against uh, Irvine, I believe it was, was that the game that Collier uh, uh, fouled out? I don't know if that's he fouled, he fouled out, out. He fouled out. He fouled out of a game so far this year. So that's going to be a big issue. Obviously, I know this is only, a, you know, he's only played six college basketball games, so I understand that. But if, if you've only got three guys, essentially, that are running this entire team. One of them's turned the ball over five times. And if one of them happens to foul out or, you know, has an off night shooting wise, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get losses to UC Irvine and to Oklahoma. So I, I mean, we talked about this in our Pac-12 preview show. I didn't quite think that there was any shot that I said that Arizona was going to win this conference by multiple games. I think that if we were going to do the preview show today, I think that would be probably a pretty accurate 
or a common preview because I don't see this USC team giving Arizona a run. Maybe in a game, maybe in a game they play together, but not across a 20 game slate. Will they be better than Arizona? That's for sure. UCLA is still going to take some time, although I, I have been impressed with UCLA uh, so far this year. Um, not that this is supposed to be completely about the Pac-12, but Colorado has been unimpressive as well, and we both picked them uh, to be very uh, to be good. I don't they only have one loss. I think they have two losses, don't they? Colorado. Eh, maybe they have. Maybe they only have one loss, but um, they're yeah, already unranked. Though. They're five and one. Okay, they're already unranked though. It, it, they're not even the best team in Colorado. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that could which be we'll, true. Which, which we'll talk about later, but. Um, but Arizona is the only team ranked in the Pac-12 already. Like just typical Pac-12 bullshit that I'm so tired of. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, USC, they're they're an outside shot of the Final Four. Three weeks into the season, it's like, ah, never mind. That was fun. You know, whatever. They suck just like everybody else in the Pac-12 does. So uh, I am a little concerned about USC. Uh, it's, it's troubling to say the least. They have at least a couple opportunities at uh, some bigger wins to maybe get back a little bit. They too play Gonzaga uh, this weekend. So they're, you know, and then they play uh, Auburn two weeks from now um, at Auburn. So those are two huge games to really get them back to say, okay, is this team going to be a competitive team nationally? Are they going to compete for Pac-12 title? Or are they just going to be kind of a run of the mill six to eight seed, whatever. Cause if they can't pick up wins against either in Auburn or Gonzaga, there's just not enough high level wins in the PAC 12 to help their seeding out. Yeah. So I think it's still way too early to be concerned about USC bad loss to UC Irvine. I'm not going to argue that, but you look around the country, a lot of teams have some bad losses under their resume. I think I'm more impressed, I suppose with Oklahoma and the big 12 Oklahoma is undefeated. And so I don't think it was necessary. They lost on a buzzer beater, right? USC did. So USC is supposed to be better than Oklahoma. I understand that. And they're probably playing a little bit below what their standard is. But I think Oklahoma's been far and away uh, better than what than what they've shown, right? Porter Moser finally might have a team uh, where he can build some momentum. Now, good luck in the Big 12. And again, this is a Big 12 opponent for USC. And I think by the end of the season, it's actually going to look decent. Uh, as a loss for USC. But I'm, I want to give Isaiah Collier more time to figure out the the turnover situation for sure. Uh, and like you said, Boogie Ellis has been tremendous all year, and I expect that to continue. And so I think those two games, those Gonzaga and Auburn games, and honestly the Oregon game to open up at Oregon, uh, Pac-12 play, those are going to be critical. I think they got to go two and one in those spots uh, or amongst those three games in order for them to put themselves in a very good position to either compete for a Pac-12 title, which I don't think they will only because Arizona is so good, but I think they'll be second and they'll be in at large bid. And I think they will be a, a top four or five seed um, based off of the opportunities that present themselves. I just think it's still too early to make a, a sweeping generalization on these guys specifically. Because I trust Andy Enfield. He's he's proven that he can win in the NCAA tournament. And right now, it's just about gelling and, and molding some of these guys together to play well together. And I don't know how, LeBron, how Bronny James fits into this at all. Maybe this is pie in the sky for me. And maybe it's way too far down the road. But I wouldn't be surprised if and when he's healthy, he could be an impact guy in a, in, in a couple spots. Right? I'm not expecting him to be... Uh, 12 and eight scorer for the second half of the season. But in some emergency situations in some tight games, which USC will keep, I think USC is good enough to keep every single game tight. I think that's when you might be able to see uh, some of the different roster makeup and some of the different personnel help out with, with Andy Enfield. But for right now, I'm glad at least like I can, I can tell you that Boogie Ellis is playing very well. That's good. I trust Andy Enfield as a coach to, to get this team in the right direction. That's good. I've seen flashes of brilliance from Isaiah Collier and Joshua Morgan has played pretty solid as well. So that's all really good. Isaiah Collier's making freshman silly mistakes, potentially unbecoming of a number one overall pick, but it's all there. They just gotta, they just gotta be a little bit more polished. If we're going to be talking about them as a conference champion right now, they're not as a result of some of the unpolished play, and also Arizona being so damn good, but 
they're on an all right trajectory, I think. So I will say in Isaiah Collier's defense, a lot of his turnovers and foul troubles have been off of um, him just trying to get bully his way to the to the bucket and lowering his head. They changed the charge block call in college basketball this year, which seems like they change it every year in some in some capacity. So I will give him a little bit of a of a pass on that, you know, that his foul and turnover troubles have kind of gone together, which is something that is certainly fixable. Um, The other thing is I want to talk about is Bronny James. Did you see a Bronny James fan account? Uh, on Instagram today, posted a picture of him in a Duke uniform, and but the fan account is Bronny James Jr. is what the name of the fan account is. So it freaked people a bunch of people out on Twitter and stuff today because it's got a blue check mark and everything, and so um, so it was kind of it caused a ruckus there for a minute today. Which I'm not sure what people. the I'm not sure what the purpose of that was, but kind of kind of interesting. So. Well, it's probably because people who are casual. And don't follow college basketball. They're like, oh, he's in a Duke jersey. That means he's gone. Like, you can't just do that. <laughs> so, Sue, let me try this again. What jersey uh, did they have Bronny in today? I said Duke. Oh, look at that. God, you're sick. I'm ill at the, at the, uh, I like that a lot. game today. So, you really are. You really are. <laughs> um, because you're asking these questions and I'm just like, why the, why is he asking me these questions? Man? My dog, just we look just, at the doc. Just look at the docket on the right side of your screen, man. You know, come on or wherever it is. For you. Hey, Duke, Arkansas, big game upcoming T. Uh, let me talk a little bit though. First, I want to focus m- my thoughts at least on Arkansas mm-hmm. to start this off. They uh, were could be on a four game losing streak. If I'm being honest with you. Traymond Mark is questionable. I would say doubtful after a scary, scary fall uh, in Atlantis. Hopefully he's all right. But they haven't been playing well whatsoever. They're one of their last three. Their only win was a three-point win against Stanford. Stanford, not very good. Uh, So when I couple that, when I take into account the travel, and when I take into account the fact that Kyle Filipowski is an absolute monster right now, who's doing everything, for Duke, leading the team in points, leading the team in rebounds, steals, blocks. Tyrese Proctor is the only other person contributing as it relates to a leadership level. When I take all of that into account, injury to Mark, the fact that they're on a four-game losing streak, I'm calling it a four-game losing streak because beating three by Stan- beating Stanford by three is basically a loss. I don't see how they pull an upset. And I know it's at home. I think they're only favored – or. I think they're favored. No, favored or dogs? They're dogs. They're five-point dogs. Only five-point dogs. Five-point dogs at home. Yeah, there you go. I like that. I don't see how they cover and or win, to be honest with you, Taylor. What do you think about this? Well, and the problem, Duke played like just shit in the first half against uh, Southern Indiana. I think they were losing. Was it Southern Indiana? Is that who they playing? It was Southern Indiana. Yeah, the Screaming Eagles. Uh, Yeah. Good, good ball club, one in six so far this year, but they were losing in half in Cameron. And they obviously came back and won by uh, like 18 or significant margin. To me, you know, in my mind, that doesn't bode well for whoever the next opponent is, right? Because that's like Shire is going to get in there and be like, yo, okay, come on, guys. Um, Arkansas, there were definitely some. Uh, high hopes for them this year. Maybe not as good as in some past years, maybe two years ago specifically, but they very much underperformed, uh, very much underperformed, as you've noted so far this year. Um, did you even say who their first loss was to, by the way, of that group? It's Greensboro. Yeah, right. I mean, we're talking like, and they're not, Greensboro's not the worst school by any means, but when you combine. Well, that was a, that was a true home game. That was yeah, in right. Bud Walton. Right, so. Yeah, if you can't even beat Greensboro at Bud Walton, how are you expecting to beat Duke? So five is five isn't a lot. It, they are not one of my betting picks because uh, I may have read the schedule before this, uh, so I didn't. I left them off my my dimes. Not that my dimes performed well at all last time around, but um, uh, no, I, I think Duke wins this one handily. Not even just because they're a better team, but because Arkansas. Let's let's put it this way: not just because Duke is a better team, but be, but because Arkansas is a worse team if that makes sense. And then Duke coming off a game that they kind of struggled in. Well, I think also Duke is just like a fully healthy Duke versus a fully healthy Arkansas. I'm still taking Duke, especially on the road. Like Duke's shown to me and and proven enough 
this season uh, that they should be taken seriously, that their ceiling is a national title. And we've all mentioned that. And what, their only losses to now a number two team uh, at home, basically by five points, or they had a chance to tie it towards the end. Duke's the real deal. They're nasty. And like I mentioned, Filipowski's uh, just on a whole other level. It's going to be interesting to see. I don't know if Trayvon Brazil is going to stick him at all, um, but I don't know if anyone will stick Kyle Filipowski. They're just so well-rounded. They're experienced. They're a veteran group. They're tough. Now, hopefully Arkansas can get some contri- uh, contribution from, well, I guess I mentioned Brazil, but also Debo Davis, L. Ellis, who's familiar with playing the Blue Devils. So, this is going to be a, a tough test for Arkansas. And I just, it would shock me. I usually say it wouldn't shock me if they somehow keep it closer or, or they end up winning. But knowing what they've been through the last couple of weeks, and I also think that this is a small little piece of it, but the travel, right? They were just in Atlantis, Arkansas was, correct? So they come all the way back here. Duke, they were at home uh, this past, they, they were at home for Thanksgiving. So they can just come over here. And I don't know it's I know it's on a Wednesday, but there's a lot of contributing factors here where I just think it's one of those deals, Taylor, where the issue of looking ahead to some of these games, I'm not saying that's what Arkansas did because they lost to some quality opponents too. They lost to Carolina. They lost to Memphis. Those are two teams that I think are, I, I believe I picked as my conference champions, but when you look ahead to the, some of these games, like I can't wait for I'm Pavloving for Duke at Bud Walton. You, you suddenly look back and you're like, Oh, well, this isn't a must win, but if we don't win this game, we're one and four in our last five. And that includes some bad losses. Now this will be a good loss, but it's just an ugly, terrible taste because you had all the expectations in the world of entering this Duke game at home, fully healthy. That's out the window. Uh, one or two losses. No. And now, uh, because you have three losses and now you're going up against a very tough opponent. Who's uh, who smells blood in the water. So that's the issue with kind of looking ahead to these games, Taylor, not taking care of business. There's so many games in college basketball, but you got to take care of business. So on a much more elevated level uh, on another SEC team that's visiting uh, another ACC team coming in on a losing streak is is and to much different teams. But Tennessee goes to North Carolina as well tomorrow or tonight. Um, and Tennessee could go be on a three game losing streak. Unfortunately for them, that their losses would be to. Purdue, Kansas, and Duke in this, or North Carolina in this circumstance. But you certainly wouldn't have predicted in the preseason that a team like Tennessee would have lost three straight at any time during this season. So that's going to be another tough one um, for an SEC team that's trying to to do something. Oh, and I should say they're Arkansas is at home. Tennessee's on the road. So I guess it's not apples to apples completely, but you know what I'm saying? Where it's like, yeah, the losing streak again, when you look talking about seeding, preseason expectations, all of that is okay. Let's say that we played, you know, five ranked teams in the out of conference. You'd think to yourself, okay, well, if, if we go two and three, three and two would be good. But if you have a three game losing streak in there to them, you're to, in that situation, you'd be like, well, damn, maybe we aren't quite as good as anticipated. So that's another great game uh, happening tonight coming up. Uh, another one that I left out of my betting picks because I, really couldn't decide uh, which one of those two I I wanted to take. I will say one more thing about Tennessee here since we're on the line about them. Why they decided to take seven consecutive threes, you know, they took the lead, I believe, right? They took the lead by a point against Purdue. And they were playing great basketball. And they took a three. I think they went up 64 to 63. And then they took seven consecutive threes on seven consecutive possessions to end the game on a team that's that can't shoot. Sh- that's what three point team shooting teams do, Taylor. <laughs> a team that still can't shoot, unfortunately. But that made no sense to me. And it really, I know it's just one game against the number one team in the country. But it, I really want, I, for years, despite some of the arguments we've had on this program, for years I've been trying to say that I get Tennessee to say, like, okay, they are over that hump. But when they, 
you got Ziegler who's still there doing the same shit, <laughs> like, you know, like still. And it's like, guys, I'd come say it's on. More Vescovy. Vescovy's well, whatever. Long. Yeah. They've both been yeah. there for, they've both been there for 25 years combined, you know? So it's like, guys, why is this the same problem in, in, in these games over and over and over again? And it was just, it was infuriating to me uh, watching that game. So they I just should, wanted to point that out since we were on an SEC, ACC kind of kick there. No, I appreciate it. The, first of all, great color scheme uh, with Tennessee and Carolina. I hope they go. Yeah, I, I hope, hope so powder too. blues and orange. Go color on color. The issue is always going to be with Tennessee. Like, can they do this? Can they can they put together six games? Hell, can they put together four games? Because Final Four would be the cherry on top. I know Rick Barnes has been to one, but he's supposed to get one at Tennessee, I guess. Can they do this uh, for four to six games in the NCAA tournament? That is... I guess, to be determined. Last thing I want to mention, though, Taylor, before we get to segments, how many team, teams from the Carolinas is Arkansas going to schedule? Can we talk about that for a second? They've played Gardner-Webb. They've played UNC-Greensboro. They've played UNC. They're going to play Duke. They're playing Furman. Uh, and then they got UNC-Wellington. That's six teams against uh, teams from the Carolinas. Wow. And, and essentially, what is a five-week stretch of basketball? That's one North Carolina per week, essentially. 1.25, give or take. Yeah. No, that is. How does that come about? And yeah, that's kind of strange. Are there a lot of, are there a lot of recruits from? I don't know. Yeah. Like, do they usually do this? I mean, a couple of them. Well, and only one game was in Atlantis, right? Yeah. Against the Carolina team. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Are there a lot of. Uh, L. Ellis is from Durham. Maybe, this is the type of maybe stuff you get. Maybe from that. Tape, maybe maybe that's how they got him to transfer there. Listen, L. Well, you to <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna play five teams from your home state. They're not gonna be in North Carolina. They're still gonna be here at our house. But yeah, I don't know. Kind of strange. It is, but that's what you get here from Titch. All right, I don't really care about the breakdowns of Tremont Mark and his absence, things like that. I care about the scheduling. Like, why is Arkansas playing a ton of North Carolina and South Carolina teams? Very odd. All right, Taylor, uh, I need to go make myself some soup and tea. Can we get some segments rolling here with easy layup? I'm going to let you ISO. This is a lot of pressure. But speaking of ISO, let's start off with an easy layup of a guy that did a lot of ISOs in his college basketball career. Creighton is retiring the jersey of one of the very best college basketball players of all time, and certainly one of the best of our generation. And that's Dougie McDermott. Now that's going to happen against Villanova uh, on December 20th of a, a, a very apropos uh, a person to be or team to be doing it against as well. Um, a team that uh, has been obviously the, probably the best college basketball team of uh, the last 15 years or so. Um, now we talk a lot. One of our trivia questions on many of our preview episodes this year were how many two thousand point scorers there were in a certain conference. Doug McDermott scored thirty one hundred and fifty whole American points in his career. Three thousand, good enough for fifth all time in NCAA history. That's a, that's scoring the hell out of the basketball. Three time first team All American. I think we kind of forget how good. Uh, of a college basketball player, Doug McDermott really was. Maybe, maybe we like maybe no, we Taylor, don't. But Taylor, we do because this was around ish the same time as Jimmer. Creighton isn't. I mean, I don't know. Creighton's not as small as BYU. Uh, they didn't have the some crazy tournament success. I think a lot of people probably thought like, oh, this is some sort of uh, what? What is what's the thing nowadays that kids love to say? Uh, Nepo baby, like. They were probably just like, oh, Doug McDermott's a Nepo, baby. Uh, he's still in the NBA, folks. So I agree with you. I, there are some contributing factors as to why we may not have appreciated Doug McDermott at Creighton. Dude, you're so hip all the time, not so mid. All, you know, Nepo, baby. Nepo, yeah. baby. Jesus, Jesus. How old are we? I can't even. No, kidding. Um, really, you know, a, a wonderful um, collegiate career for him. And uh, rightfully, you know, should get his number retired up there next to the likes of like Paul Silas, Kyle Korver uh, and the like there uh, in Omaha. So uh, that's my easy layup. I think maybe at the time there were people that hated Doug McDermott, but uh, certainly a guy that I I think he's a lot more well-liked than say like a Tyler Hansbrough, you know, someone else who was a a multiple, you know, national player of the year type of guy uh, trying to think 
of other na- national player of the years or, th- or three-time oh, All-Americans. Reddick. Totally, totally. There's a common theme to these guys. What is it, Sue? Hmm. Uh, white guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's what it is. Uh, but the thing that really most under underrated part of McDermott's career is the fact that he stayed all four years at Creighton uh, in a pre-NIL type of deal. Of course, his dad was the coach, so maybe Creighton could have just paid, you know. Uh, so that probably Creighton. is actually yeah. like valid yeah. Nepo baby stuff. But the rest hey, of it, co- like his encore play, you can play for anyone in the country. Hey, coach, we'll... Would you like a $1 million raise next year for, for Doug in school? <laughs> yeah, here's the catch. So, no, I, that, that actually didn't happen because he didn't, unless it, something happened behind the scenes. But um, that's really an impressive part in, in the pre-NIL college basketball days. Um, and the fact that he's still, it's a good example for, I think, a lot of college basketball players that um, I always use someone like, to just to reference an Arizona guy, I always use a guy like Solomon Hill, who just got married this last week, shout out. Um a five-star recruit who could have literally left and had the same draft position at any point after his freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior years was a um, first-round draft pick, actually, uh, funny enough, I believe. Um, as a guy that, like, once you have a certain set of skills, it's going to translate to basketball or to the to the pro level. You might not be a superstar, but you're certainly not going to get kicked out of the league two years into your career. So it's a good example in today's world. I think that's one of the reasons why I think the NIL thing is kind of, there's some certain, certainly some bad parts about it that we're starting to see come to light. But I think keeping some of these guys in school for a little extra time, like a Hunter Dickinson would probably be our best example in today's world of, of who'd be closest to a Doug McDermott in terms of, huh, on theme here still, I guess. Uh, another white dude who stuck around for a while, but, but that might translate to a, a, a longer NBA career still, uh, remains to be seen. Uh, but all those guys that we just talked about all had not like all-star long-term NBA career or, you know, all-star careers, but they certainly had extended NBA careers more so than if they would have left probably after their freshman or sophomore years. Yeah. I don't know if I, and again, this is the whole purpose of hindsight being 2020. I don't know if I see Hunter Dickinson having a lengthy NBA career, like a TJ McConnell or a solo Hill or a Greg McDermott or <clears throat> Doug McDermott, excuse me. Because Doug McDermott has kicked around. He's played in playoff series. He's been a good contributor. I don't know if I see that with Hunter Dickinson. But sure. He's Doug just our, he's just probably yeah. our best example we have currently of a guy who's done that. No, I got you. I got you. But Doug McDermott deserves every hat tip uh, and flower he gets in Omaha. Great player. One of my favorite nuggets also is that he played with Harrison Barnes in high school. That probably was a terrifying, terrifying team. All right, Taylor. Lane violation. So did you see this punch that was thrown uh, by BYU's? Let me make sure I pronounce his name correct. Atiki Ali Atiki. Did you catch this? Uh, well, I think it was in I'm Vegas. I'm not sure I did. Oh, I so, did against ASU. Rough weekend for ASU in a lot of ways. Uh, lost a lot of games. Surprised you're uh, saying that's a violation. Yeah, yeah, actually, you're right. It should be an easy layup. No, this game was in Vegas. And the strange part about it to me was that BYU was up like 30 points at this point. There's about 44 seconds left. Um, Atiki, Ali Atiki, uh, punched Akil. <laughs> Can't make that up. Akil uh, Watson there uh, as they kind of scrapped after a little little bit of a block out, you know, on a, on a late rebound there. Atiki kind of swats at him a little bit. And just, and just little little punch right to the grill there uh, with yeah with, with nothing on the line really. Uh, did you see or if you go back and watch this video, you'll see that the assistant coach, uh, while well, Atiki's still on the ground, comes over and stands over him and essentially goes, "What in the hell are you doing, dude?" So um, it's a lane violation as well because it took place in the lane, which is helpful uh, to to make this comp. But uh, yeah, that was my lane violation of the week. Uh, Kind of a strange situation there with uh, a, a guy punching another guy in the face. ASU just getting beat up oh. all all over the weekend. Yeah, Tough. To see, oh, did you, did you see what came out today too? That uh, that they're in. So there was an article that came out about Arizona um, and some financial issues, which yeah. largely has nothing to do with the athletic department. It was just one quote from like a physics teacher that suggested the athletic department do something about it. 
Well, and so U of A folks got a lot of shit from ASU folks here over the last week about that. Well, so happens today, it comes out that ASU has like three years left of an athletic department. And if they don't make any more money, the whole thing's going to get like canned because their football program's the worst in the country. Their basketball is one of the worst. They're like hundreds of millions of dollars in debt because they started this uh, D1 hockey program. So mm, just, uh, just a rough week, five years south of me here. Yeah. So I did see that. Uh, I don't want to, I hate that we're bringing their stink with us to the big 12, but maybe they won't, they won't last more than three years. So we'll see. I, a, they pro- I bet they will, but yeah. Yeah. It's it'll be fine. Yeah, just yeah, like everything it, in college, it'll sports, get nothing out. will happen. It was just kind of funny that it happened to come out that, that was like, oh, well, look at that. Look, pot, pot, meat kettle, you know? Yeah. Nothing's going to happen. All right, Taylor, Damel Dimes. So last week. I mean, we don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. (laughs) No, we have to. We have to. I'm sorry. Uh, Let's let's recap real quick. You took SMU plus seven against Wisconsin. That did not hit. West Virginia minus nine. Or excuse me, you took Virginia minus nine against West Virginia. That did not hit. And then Baylor beat Oregon State by 16, which is what you took. So a push uh, where you're sitting at right now on the season five, five and two. Let's uh, money. Even money. Yeah, we're okay. We haven't lost anything. So tell me how we can win some stuff. All right, let's do it. So you just said one of the teams uh, that I'm going to take, and that's uh, Virginia. Virginia hosts Texas A&M tomorrow as one point favorites. Texas A&M is ranked 14th in the country, but essentially, you know, this game is a pick 'em. I think Virginia is still for the reason again, like I took them last week, is that you know. They had a bad loss uh, to Wisconsin, and they didn't look good against West Virginia. But I still have some higher hopes for this Virginia team uh, than than what currently appears. So I think they get it together here at home against Texas A&M. So I'm going to take them uh, minus one, uh, essentially a pick'em game. Now a team that has been impressive this year, maybe one that we didn't write off certainly, uh, but maybe we had some early concerns about because of one of their losses, and that's Villanova. They lost to Penn on November 13th, and since they lost to Penn, they've actually played some really good basketball. Um, They have beat Uh, They beat Memphis and North Carolina and Texas Tech and Maryland since that game. That's a pretty good stretch run of of teams. Um, You know, two of those teams specifically, well, one of those teams, North Carolina being very good, but, um, you know, Memphis, Texas Tech, Maryland, certainly good basketball programs and, and teams that should or will probably make the tournament this year. So they're playing St. Joe's. And they're favored by 15 at home. So I'm going to take them by 15. Uh, St. Joe's is 0-10 in their last 10 games against Villanova. And uh, Villanova is 7-3 against the spread in that stretch. So we're taking Nova over St. Joe's by 15. And then a team that I said kind of something bad about. And I'm going to bring up the other team I'm going to bring up again here after Dimes. So it's kind of like a an enigma wrapped inside of a whatever. Um, we're going to go Colorado in the battle for Colorado against at the Colorado state Rams. Now Colorado is a three point dog. And as you brought up earlier, Sue, I don't think Colorado's played all that well this year, but I think Colorado state has just gone on a nice run through feast week. And uh, I think Colorado, uh, is, this is one of those type of games that in their in-state rival, they, with their in-state rival, they do have to prove that they are big brother. So when I saw that they were the underdogs in this game, it's certainly going to be a a bipartisan crowd. Let's call it because it is in state. I'm going to take Colorado as the underdog, a team we still think pretty highly of, uh, plus three. So that's Colorado plus three over Colorado state or against Colorado state Villanova minus 15 over St. Joe's and Virginia by one over Texas A&M. You salvaged the first pick with that last pick. I love Texas A&M. You know I love Wade Taylor. And Virginia just pisses me off so much. Shout out to Isaiah Wilkins. I love you. Thank you for coming no, on they, the program. No, they do, and that's and that's why I picked him because I yeah, yeah. that's why that's why they annoy me. Well, that's why I'm not a gambling guy. I'd be like, I can't I, I feel like I need more years to do that. But I don't like Virginia. Um, but and I love Texas A&M. However, you did go and salvage it. With Colorado, uh, that's going to be a fun game, man. Fort Collins gets hyped. There are some really good games tonight. Um, like I said, that North Carolina-Tennessee game, uh, it, it, it should be a good one. Colorado-Colorado State should be a good one. Uh, what was the uh, – there's one more that I really had, had my eye on. Uh, which one was that? 
uh, was it SMU Dayton? That should be a good one as well. Um, dang, which one was it? I'll get to it. Let's move on, Soup. Well, we're going to close it out now with uh, not so mid. Taylor, mine real quick, Oakland. Like I said at the beginning of the show, shout out to Oakland for going into the Cintas Center and beating Xavier. Sean Miller's had a little bit of issue with some non-con opponents in his first two seasons at Xavier. Um, and so it, like he's still in the process of rebuilding that program back up. Don't get it twisted. Even though we went to the Sweet 16 last year, there's still progress that I think Sean would even say needs to take place. And so they took a bit of a step back with this loss to Oakland. But Oakland, man, be on the lookout for them come tournament time. I think they should be favored or favorites in their conference. I think they could actually win a game in the NCAA tournament. And this was proof positive. I really enjoyed that win uh, that Oakland that Oakland had in the Centos Center, a true road game. Um, so shout out to the old Oakland Golden Grizzlies. That is my not so mid. Taylor, how about you? So it's a team we just talked about, Colorado State, which they're not necessarily, they are definitely not so mid because the Mountain West is not so mid. Um but they did go in, win the Hall of Fame Classic. And uh, really why I picked them is because they beat Doug McDermott's Creighton number eight team in the, in the country to do so. Now, of course, there were 30, I think there were 32 uh, Feast Week tournaments uh, that went on. Uh, here this last week, you know, you had teams like Utah State, Western Michigan, uh, God, who else was in there? Hawaii, Montana State, Bradley, uh, Greensboro, a whole bunch of these teams that ended up winning. Uh, I think Liberty won their tournament as well. So uh, shout out to all of the t- mid or mid-major teams that won uh, it, it, their Feast Week tournament. I think Tarleton, I know you're a big Tarleton State guy. Uh, Billy Purdue, Gillespie, baby. Yeah, still Purdue, there? I'd have no idea. Um, Purdue, Fort Wayne, big week for Purdue, both both main campus and Fort Wayne. Um, yeah, speaking of Purdue, I have a complaint. Actually, this is very mid, if I may complain. What is and I hate I hate to talk about Arizona so much on this program, but we're going to do it anyway. So a game you're going to, Arizona-Purdue. We've noted that you're going to this game, a game that I wish I was going to. Do you know what network it's on, Sue? Peacock, man. Peacock. And our constant complaint about how dumb streaming services are here in the world. The potential biggest game of the college basketball season. Literally. not. I mean, we're looking at one and two. Right now, and both teams, I don't want to say they have cakewalks, so they don't have cakewalks. Arizona still has Wisconsin to play in that amount of time as well. Um, But, yeah, just great. You, yeah, you wonder why there was, that was the most watched college basketball game in 15 years. Well, yeah, because everything's on goddamn Peacock or whatever now, you know. So yeah, so number one right now we're trending towards number one on number and versus number two, only available on Key, Peacock. It's so dumb. Yeah, it's very mid, very mid. I, it's been a I, I got I got nothing else to add to that, Taylor. It's been a rough episode for me, so I don't want to try and even end it on something positive. It's just negative. So let the negativity flow through you. Maybe next episode will be a little bit better, but we'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.